Hello, and welcome to the first edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. I'm Jason Gewertz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and we're excited to launch this new podcast with a fantastic first guest in Oliver Luck, the commissioner and CEO of the revived XFL Football League. This podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers, the destinations and venues seeking to host their events, and the suppliers that serve the industry. Teams 19 will be in Anaheim, California at the Anaheim Convention Center November 11th through the 14th. And this year, once again, we'll feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic Committee's SportsLink and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual meeting of the National Congress of State Games. More information is available at teensconference.com, so visit the website for all the latest details on the schedule and what to expect this year at Teams. And now, on to the podcast. If the name Oliver Luck sounds familiar, it should, and not just because he's the father of Indianapolis Colts quarterback Andrew Luck. Oliver, not surprisingly, also played quarterback in college at the University of West Virginia and later in the NFL for the Houston Oilers. But it's his success on the business side of sports where he's made his name. Luck held several roles for NFL Europe, including president, before joining the Harris County Houston Sports Authority in 2001 as chief executive officer. From there, he became president and general manager of the MLS Houston Dynamo, and eventually his alma mater came calling, and he became athletics director at West Virginia before joining the NCAA at its Indianapolis headquarters as executive vice president for regulatory affairs. But last year, WWE's Vince McMahon gave him a call to see if he'd be interested in running the revived version of the XFL, which is set to hit the field in spring 2020. And it's a job he's jumped right into. It's also a league that suddenly has quite a bit of competition as several upstart new football leagues have either recently launched or are about to. In this conversation, Oliver will discuss why he took the job, what's in store for the league, and he'll let us in on how the league picked its initial eight host cities. So we hope you enjoy the conversation and you can look forward to many more sports travel podcasts to come. Oliver Luck, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Jason. Let's start uh, initially with how you came to the XFL. You've got uh, a long history, Oliver, working for the NCAA. You've been with the NFL. Uh, you were with Houston's MLS team, of course, an athletic director. So in all of these stops, did you have any kind of working relationship with Vince McMahon? How did, how did this come to be? Uh, no, I didn't really have any uh, working uh, relationship or non-working relationship with, with Vince. I was obviously like everybody in the sports business, you know, impressed with what he had done in terms of building up WWE and, you know, turning it into a kind of the powerhouse that it is today. I was, I remember noticing when they went public, you know, I forget exactly when that was, but was very impressed with, you know, his capabilities, but I, but I had not met him. So uh, I was at the NCAA, uh, very much enjoying my job. I'm a huge believer in the you know values of college athletics. But uh, long story short, uh, one of his people reached out, asked if I'd be interested in you know, taking a meeting, and I said, sure, I'd love to you know, meet Vince and understand uh, what he's doing with the, you know, the relaunched, rebooted XFL and uh, spend a couple of Saturdays over maybe the course of two or three weeks with him. You know, I flew up to uh, LaGuardia and you know, made it out to Stanford where the WWE offices are located. And you know, during the course of those conversations, I realized that he was uh, very serious about uh, this league, that he recognized you know, the mistakes that they made back in 2001, uh, that uh, this is something that was very important to him, that he wanted to 
you know, hire a commissioner or CEO to, you know, build the league properly, if you will, somebody that has, you know, a lot of experience in what I would call traditional sport leagues. You know, it's the reason he offered me the job at the end of the day. So I did not have a, a relationship with Vince you know, prior to this. You mentioned the previous version of the XFL, and I think a lot of sports fans certainly recall that. Uh, it was certainly high on entertainment, among other things. So uh, boil it down. What's the biggest difference this time around with the approach that Vince and, and you are taking? Well, I, I think uh, it's a fundamentally different approach, and I think very little of what people remember from XFL 2001 will be what they see uh, XFL 2020. So the football will be much better. Uh, that's obviously the most important point that, that I, I will make. I think well, uh, when, Vince, yeah, when Vince launched the league in 2001, I think they didn't give themselves enough time to uh, put teams together, coaches together, uh, you know, to train, to practice, right? You know, football is not a, a show. Football is unscripted. It's messy. It's, you need serious football people to put together good football teams and to play good football. And, and so I think there is just uh, sort of a lack of understanding of how much detailed work goes into putting teams together, leagues together, uh, et cetera. So I think, I think they totally missed the boat in 2001 in that regard. So that's probably the single biggest thing. The other thing I would say in general is the league in 01 was innovative. There are a couple of things that people uh, don't realize came out of that league. The Skycam, which is now pretty common yep. <laughs> uh, for football broadcast, both pro and college, that came out of uh, XFL 2001. The sideline interview uh, came out of that league. You know, and at first people said, oh, my gosh, you know, a media person talking to a coach during a game, that's unheard of. Right. And, of course, now it's you know, very common right, at, at all levels. To... So you know, there were a number of things that, that were done that were innovative. I think we want to continue you know, to, to be innovative in the things that we do. On the other hand, you know, there were some things that, quite honestly, that were, were innovative but weren't really good ideas at all. You know, we're, we're gimmicky, and that's how the public viewed them, like the scramble which was, you know, the replacement of the coin toss. Instead of the coin toss, you had two guys, you know, running full steam at each other right. uh, trying to recover the, the ball, right? And that obviously isn't safe, <laughs> you know, and is, you know, generally speaking, yeah, not a good idea. Yeah, so that's one way to we, do we it. We want to we remain innovative, but we, we want to avoid things that the public would look at and say, oh, that's pretty gimmicky. And, you know, it's a different era, too. I'll, I'll point that out. 2001, people weren't talking about head trauma and you know, player safety anywhere near as much as they're talking about it today. So everything that we are doing and will do, you know, we keep an eye on player safety because that's ultimately super important. Right. It's, it's interesting because it's a fine line. Um, I agree. You don't want to be gimmicky, and yet you also want to continue to innovate and, and try some new things. You've talked a lot recently about uh, how the XFL can reimagine the game. Can you give us some examples of the types of things, I guess, within the, within the field of play that you're looking at that might be different than what, say, an NFL fan might be used sure. to? Sure. So you know, there's, there's uh, probably about a dozen things that we would like to, you know, to do differently than, than what the NFL does. Having said that, I think the quality of the play in the National Football League and the major college football is as high as it's ever been. I think football – you know, is that really a high water mark? You know, so uh, the game's pretty darn good the way it is. So we we've been selective and hopefully strategic in you know the things that we want to change, but we think there are some improvements. So we've got a different kickoff, right? If you're a football fan and you like a kickoff return, 
you know, you won't be very happy because kickoff return is an endangered species. It's disappearing before our eyes, right? Yeah, for sure. Out of safety. So we've taken a deep dive into why is the kickoff return, uh, you know, being eliminated? What, what are the dynamics of that? How can we keep it in the game and also make it safer? You know, which again, going back to my earlier comments, is very important. So we've got a different kickoff. We're looking at a different uh, punt return. Uh, we're looking at a different overtime. We're looking at three extra point possibilities, a one point, two point, and a three point possibility. We think that that makes some sense you know, to allow a team that's, you know, let's say down by 18 or 19 to, to get back into the game much more quickly, right, by you know, having a three point uh, extra point, if you will, play. So uh, there's, there's a, a, you know, about a, a dozen things that we're looking at doing. Ultimately, we want to have up-tempo, fast-paced game, fewer stoppages, right? And that includes both TV timeouts, coaches' timeouts. Uh, we want to have our quarter breaks done much more quickly. We want our referee decisions to be done much more quickly. We want to have a game, you know, where you average 75, 80, 85 plays per team, but is done under three hours, which is one of the other complaints, the duration of the game. That's another thing that yeah. people tend to, you know, tend to complain about a little bit. So, you know, there's a handful of things that we'd like to do differently. Uh, we think the game will be very familiar to fans as they turn on the TV and watch or you know, go to the stadium, uh, but will be a little bit unique uh, with, with sort of the flavor that we have. But we think all of these modifications or changes uh, or tweaks, call, call them what you will, we think they'll, they'll all be done with a smart football rationale. In other words, they won't be gimmicky. Yeah, you talk about duration. I know it well. I'm a season ticket holder myself in the NFL. I've got an eight-year-old son, and you know when I bring him to the games, those the TV timeouts, uh, you know, the the downtime can be can be a little tough to kind of keep him interested in it. You know, that I think that's a challenge for all leagues, but I'm sure that must be something you guys are looking at as well as far as that live event experience. Well, you know, it, it is obviously a challenge. I I've got season tickets as well. And you can imagine the team that I root for. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes, you know it, it's it's it, you see kids, even even you know young adults, the old adults, everybody, you know, sitting three minutes where there's really nothing happening. Uh, I, I noticed something that I thought was pretty unique at this year's college football playoff championship game, the CFP final, mm-hmm. you know, Alabama Clemson out in Santa Clara, and they actually had a person come off the sideline and hold up a clock, right, a digital clock that said three minutes, and they counted down. I mean, they were basically telling the fan, okay, there's a three-minute TV delay. Nothing's going to happen. You need to get up and, you know, use the restroom. Uh, you're to, you can unlock your seatbelt and get up and, you know, visit the restroom. There's no turbulence now for the next three minutes. So I, I found that very interesting it's that we're now telling fans, okay, there's going to be a three-minute three minute break. So we think that I, that's fine. It's a smart move. I, I'd rather eliminate that break or, or you know, limit it to 30 seconds. And there, you know, if you watch television, which we all do, you know, there are more split screens that are being put in play. Soccer has been a great sort of leader in that space because they fundamentally have to do things differently, right? To work advertising in during the, you know, the 45 minutes of the first half or end or second half. Right. So the technology is helping solve this problem to a certain degree, but that's certainly something that's going to be important to us. Now, I don't blame the NFL or major college ball for, you know, for their, their time lengths. They've got a lot of viewers, and they're monetizing their asset, you know, for sure. the benefit of the players and the owners and, you know, the college programs, and even to a certain degree to the benefit of everybody who's playing the game. So, you know, they're, they're doing what they 
need to do as a startup. We've got much more flexibility, so we want to do what really benefits us, which means, uh, again, an up-tempo, fast-paced, exciting game you know, that's under, under three hours. All right. Let's talk a little bit about where you're going to be able to see this product. So you recently announced uh, your first eight cities, and they are New York, Washington, D.C., Tampa, Dallas, Houston, St. Louis, L.A., and Seattle. So, Oliver, walk us through a little bit about your decision and kind of how you how you broke that out geographically and, and why those particular cities were of interest. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of things that came into play, but this it was all really started with uh, an RFP that we sent out to, I don't know, 35, 40, 50 cities, you know, a bunch of cities around the country, and people responded. We got great responses. We, we sort of whittled that down to probably 18 and then whittled that down to 12 or so before we made, you know, our final decision. Uh, obviously, we're in uh, the big markets. We're in L.A., New York, Dallas, Houston. These are all, you know, significant market uh, places, even Seattle. I want to say is maybe the 14th largest, you know, MDA in the country. So these are these are big markets. They're all home to an NFL team. In some cases, multiple teams. Uh, one case, of course, St. Louis. They had two teams that you know that have left, but we consider that still an NFL market. Part of the rationale of this league is that we will uh, appeal to diehard football fans. Those we estimate 40 million people around the country who have avoided their lives after the Super Bowl, right? Because they've, you know, they're football fans. They watch football on Saturday and they watch it on Sunday. It starts in September and then all of a sudden uh, mm-hmm. cold turkey in, uh, in February around the Super Bowl. So uh, we think that in those major markets, be it New York or Seattle or Dallas, we think that there's, there are more diehard football fans, you know, people that are season ticket holders for the Dallas Cowboys or have season tickets for the Texas Longhorns, the Texas A&M Aggies, the TCU Horned Frogs, the SMU Mustangs, the you know the North Texas Mean Green, you name it, right? Baylor Bears. You know, we think that there is you know a lot of the passionate diehard fans that will either attend our game uh, games or watch, right? And uh, that's really the reason I think for being in those larger markets versus I think you know some of the the, the smaller markets that the uh, other league is involved with. Right. St. Louis jumps out at me, uh, certainly. What kind of reaction have you received uh, from the folks in that city to have professional football back? St. Louis, I think, is going to be just a, an absolute you know, home run for us. It's a great city. It's, a, I think, one of the great American cities with incredible histories, the gateway to the West. You know, they, they've been jilted twice. And, you know, as a former Houston Oiler, I kind of appreciate how passionate people can be and how you know, hurt they can feel when their team leaves. So, you know, this happened happened twice, obviously with the Cardinals and then the Rams. It's a great facility. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be a, a, a market where there's some, certainly some pent-up demand. We obviously need to get the right you know, people in the market in terms of, you know, coaches, coaching staffs, and, and, you know, our front office staff. But I, I think St. Louis could be an absolute killer. Uh, the folks that, that uh, visit St. Louis, which is their, you know, Convention Visitors Bureau, uh, they've been marvelous to work with. They clearly wanted us. And uh, it's it, it's it's going to be a. I mean, I think all of our markets are going to do well, but I think St. Louis really could be very special. Yeah, you mentioned the convention bureau. One of the things, Oliver, that stuck out to me at your recent press conference when you announced these cities was the number of speakers you had there representing 
their cities from the local CVB or from the Sports Commission. And I know you've got experience in that world, having been president of the Houston-Harris County Sports Authority yourself. But what role did the CVBs and the Sports Commissions play in your selection process as you were going through all those RFPs? They, you know, they, they played a pretty significant role. And I think all these communities that you know, we targeted and, and you know, many others, but you know, I think they've all now realized there's a, as you all know, right, from sports travel, there's a significant revenue opportunity uh, in the business of people traveling for sports, be it, you know, amateur, be it professional, be it participatory or whatever it is, right? I didn't quite appreciate that when I was at the Harris County Houston Sports Authority because our primary objective was to, you know, finance and build the stadiums in town. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the group sort of just as I was leaving and Janice was coming on board, that group really changed its focus, you know, to attract sporting events and support sporting teams and events and fill hotel rooms up and all that, which makes sense because in Houston, for example, the uh, the stadium debt, and it's not insignificant, is, uh, you know, is, is paid for with a hotel and a rental car tax. So you want right. to you know, bring as many people into town as you can. But I, I think most communities have figured it out. Some do a better job than others, but St. Louis and, and their folks, Kitty and, and others, were just you know, spot on, super helpful. We have, you know, have any kind of problems. They, they serve as a go-to group. They know all the political folks in town at the city, county, state level. They know, you know the private sector folks in town. Uh, so you know, they, they were, and as, as all of them were, you know, they were really indispensable in our efforts. Talk a little bit, Oliver, about your mix of venues. You're going to be in NFL stadiums. You've got MLS stadiums, a college football stadium, even a baseball stadium. Why such a range? Was that just uh, the way that things shook out uh, as far as what the cities were offering or thought would be best for your product? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's sort of I, I approach it the same way I approached uh, you know the, the coaches that we're hiring. Some of them we've only announced one, of course, Bob Stoops. You know, who's got a great college background. Some of them will be guys like Bob. You know, college backgrounds hugely successful at the college level. Others will be guys who, you know, uh, were head coaches in the NFL, you know, or in the Canadian Football League who had great success as well. So, you know, we have a mix of venues. Uh, You know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, how Washington, D.C. turns out. You know, small venue, obviously uh, MLS building, Audi Field, brand new, just an awesome intimate environment. I mean, fans are going to be literally right on top of the team. That's, you know, that's going to be different than, you know, what we have uh, in New York with MetLife, which is obviously very big, the place that every New Yorker says that MetLife means football and football means MetLife. So it's going to be interesting to to see. I mean, ultimately, you know, we don't own any of these venues. We're leasing them. Uh, You know, there are some places where you know we weren't able to lease a venue for a variety of reasons in some cases it was simply too expensive but the landlord whoever that was municipality or a pro sports team wanted too much money so we said no we'll go elsewhere we need to you know we're building a business as well and have to be economically smart with what we do Uh, but i'm looking forward to the venues i think one of the coolest ones is going to be in dallas or i should say in arlington uh, because that's the current Texas Rangers ballpark. Uh, they're building a new one right next door. The Rangers will play this baseball season in the current park and then you know move out. Right. And the Rangers organization is going to you know sort of retrofit the uh, current ballpark for football, uh, not just for us, but for uh, they'd like to attract the Texas high school football playoffs. Of course, it's Texas, and so those playoff games are serious. They pull in thirty-five, forty, for sure, thousand people. Oh. 
and, and other football users that might do a bowl game, they might do regular season game, regular season college games. They may, you know, University of Texas at Arlington has been thinking about talking about you know launching a football program. So that that's going to be a really special venue because I think it'll ultimately, when they're finished with their retrofitting, you know, just be a perfect you know thirty thousand seater that is just going to be great for for the XFL Dallas franchise. Oliver, earlier you, you made a, at least a passing reference to one of the other leagues. You know, it's not much of a secret. The Alliance of American Football has started this year. You guys will be starting uh, a year later. Um, there's a couple of other leagues that are, that are starting to pop up now, alternative leagues, if you will, to the NFL. Uh, what do you think is going on there? I mean, why, why do you think there is such an interest right now and, and so much investment in you know, a spring league or an alternative league? You're obviously one of them and certainly one of the most high-profile ones. Um, but sure. you're not alone out there. No, uh, and I, quite honestly, I take that as, uh, as sort of affirmation, you know, for the concept of spring football. So, you know, in a sense, I think a couple of things are happening. Number one, good economy. And there's a lot of, you know, capital out there that's looking to be deployed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't the case really, I think, 20, 30 years ago. But, uh, you know, the, the, not just the country, the nation, the world, I guess, is you know, awash with, you know, private equity. So I think that's important. I think number two... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, football is at sort of a high water mark. You know, all the metrics are up, basically speaking. You know, the NFL's had a little bit of a slump a year or so ago, or two years ago, but its ratings are incredibly strong. College football is incredibly strong. Professional and college football may be the only remaining destination viewing for the networks. Yeah. I mean, look at the AAF, you know, and the rating they got, you know, their, their week one on, on CBS, they beat the NBA. You know, the same time slot on a, a terrestrial carrier. So, you know, clearly, people Americans want to watch football. So, I think that football has only solidified itself as the number one sport in this country over the last 15, 20 years. And I think a lot of people are watching that, looking at it, and say, you know, now is the time to, to launch a league. So, I think it's you know, it's capital, it's football. I also think, I, I think it's you know, the fact that many people recognize that there's a hell of a lot of really good players. Really good coaches that, for whatever reason, aren't quite good enough to make it in the National Football League. It's, as I say all the time, very hard to make a 53-man roster. Think of all the quarterbacks that, that we watch on Saturdays in college, guys that you know are all Americans and all conference, win the Heisman Trophy, and there's 64 professional jobs for a quarterback. And when you have guys like Tom Brady or Eli or Philip Rivers or Ben or whomever, you know, these guys don't retire, right? They occupy those spots. It's very hard to break in the National Football League for one of those highly coveted positions, you know, on an active roster. So uh, I think that's changed. I think there are more better players coming out of college because of, you know, strength and conditioning programs, because of nutritional programs. Football's a 12-month-a-year job. You know, every quarterback's got a private throwing coach. I think you have a ton of players who who are really entertaining, really good, but just not going to make an NFL roster. And and I think uh, that's one of the reasons why we're so bullish on the quality of our play. Yeah, well, it uh, goes to the coaching, too. It's not like Bob Stoops had any problems going to the NFL if he wanted to, but you managed to do something that none of those NFL teams are able to do and get him to be a coach in your league. What in the world did you say to him? Well, uh, I've known Bob for a long time. I think the world of him, you're right. You know, he, he probably could have taken, uh, you know, any college job he wanted, and arguably he would have been very high in lots of, you know, the eight teams that to look for new head coaches in the National Football League. I think, 
you know, I think for Bob, at the end of the day, it's a lifestyle decision. It's a hard job. And he's got three kids. Uh, they're all in college. One of them is going to play football at OU or is playing football at OU. And I think he wanted to, you know, to have a, sort of a, a little bit of a different pace, you know, while his kids are in school. I am somebody who follows my son around every Sunday and used to follow him every Saturday in college. I certainly appreciate, you know, when a parent, in Bob's case, both he and his wife, Carol, you know, when they want to watch their son play because it's limited time that you get to watch your kid, kid play sports at the, you know, college or pro level. So I think for Bob, it was a lifestyle decision. I think he missed coaching a little bit. I think that everybody does who leaves the game, you know, yeah. and he recognized the opportunity and said, let's, let's go do this. Let's have some fun. Well, we'll wrap up here, but uh, Oliver, this is the part of the podcast where we talk about how cool it was that you played for the Houston Oilers because I grew up in New York and ended up being neither a Jets nor a Giants fan. I actually was an Oilers fan, mostly because I thought the colors were so cool uh, when I was a kid. So uh, you've got a team in Houston. Are you going to rock some Columbia blue with that team? When you well, I can only tell you this, right? Uh, past is pro but uh, when I was the president general manager of the Houston Dynamo, brand-new team, and moved down to Houston in 2008, Six, right? It's the former, the former uh, MLS team in San, in San Jose, which was called the Earthquakes. And they obviously got got their team back you know, a number of years later. But when that team moved down, we had to launch that team. Primary color, as you may know, is orange. Uh, but our secondary color is Columbia blue. Oh, there you go. And our third color uh, that nobody really knows, but the third color is called Raven Black. And you may not know this if you're not a Texan, but Raven was Sam Houston's horse, Jet Black. And, of course, Houston is named after the great general Sam Houston. So, um, you know, we try to dip into history a little bit. Well, I look forward to seeing what you come up with then for all your teams. Uh, it sounds like you've got quite a uh, uh, quite an effort being made on the, on the color sequence from your past stops. Yeah, well, that's that's all. You know, what's going on with you know people a lot smarter than me right now. But uh, we should be ready to launch logos, colors, names at some point. Uh, you know, in, uh, in March or April. Yeah, uh, you mentioned your your son Andrew. How often do you get to see his games? How much are you traveling as they're traveling? Oh, I'm. Uh, you know, listen, I, I should get like a gold medal from your magazine uh, because my wife and I went to every game this year, and wow. it was the first. Well, I guess it wasn't the first time. Time we drive to Indianapolis, and I we went to a lot of his games when I was living in Morgantown. But that's a five-hour drive, which you can you know, jump in the car and make it to Indy at odd hours. This past season, I think they had in New York. They played the Jets, and they had a game in Philly that was drivable, and a game they played the NFC, so they had a game in DC, which I think we took the train down or flew. I can't remember, but you know, everything else, we we are you know traveling fools. Well, hopefully you can get him to come to some XFL games. Well, um, I haven't actually thought of that yet, but that's a good, that's a good point. See, I already, already got your one fan right there. Uh, yeah, well, I hope he's willing to you know, attend the game. So we'll see. He, I like to leave. He, he likes his springs, you know, football less, right, because, you know, it's such an intense season every year. Excellent. Well, hopefully you can convince him to uh, to come on down. Um, Oliver, that's about the, that's about the time we have. But I want to thank you for taking the time out to chat with us, and I wish you the best of luck with everything in the uh, months and, and years to come with the XFL. Sure. Well, thanks uh, for doing it. You're very professional. And, uh, appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to the Sports Travel Podcast. We hope you come back for more in-depth discussions with leaders in the sports event industry. Until then, this is Jason Gewertz with Sports Travel saying thanks for listening.